0: Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church Podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. All right, uh, grab your Bible and go with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter number, I'm going to go to chapter five. You can go wherever you want. i want to go to chapter five, and I'm going to read a story to you. And I do want to remind you in September, in September, we're going to be launching our Next Steps class again. That's the way, that's the way you learn who we are. That's the way to get connected. That's the way to get plugged in to the life of the church through our Next Steps course. That's going to happen the first Sunday, the first Sunday in September. So you want to be sure to be there for that. Also, we're going to be launching our small group semester in September. You want to be there for that as well. All of this is coming up. We're going to try to make to make this as normal as possible. I know there's. I've had people in our church reach out to us. They still have some great reservations about about coming out in gatherings and because of different situations going on. And we understand that. And if you're watching online, and that's one of that's you, we love you so much, and we miss you like crazy and we cannot wait to see you again and hug you again or high five you again or just nod at you again whatever whatever works Uh, but we're going to try to make this as normal as we can and so we're going to pick up everything that we were doing before the pandemic happened to the degree that we can which means our next steps course will happen first sunday in september and our small group semesters will launch in september as well now i've had a lot of fun uh doing this. I don't know if anybody else has enjoyed it, but I've enjoyed it. We've been doing every week a teaching. Uh, We've been doing it on Wednesday night. We're going to have to change the date. I will post post the new date for this this week on social media. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet, but we've been teaching on the book of Revelation because if you go on social media, the world's burning to the ground, right? And Jesus is about to come back on a white horse and kill everybody, right? None of that's true, by the way. that's good news you know that right y'all sounded depressed when I said this like dang the world's not burning to the ground this isn't the end this isn't the big one and Jesus is not about to come and kill everybody on a white horse there's so many theological problems that we have I have heard I have heard this week four different brand new brand new interpretations of the mark of the beast Never heard them before. If nothing else, you have to credit the church with being creative and resilient. Because we don't stop. (laughs) And we need to stop. So I've been teaching on the book of Revelation. We're going to bring some clarity to the book of Revelation and what it means. Most people are terrified, terrified of the book even when i say the word apocalypse everybody's like nuclear bombs going off right world melting down that's not what any of that means and so we got to stop peddling that fear and calling it preaching because it's not that okay and so be, be on the lookout on our social media page. We're going, to do the, we're going to continue these teachings. I might try to do them on a Sunday night. I've had several people say that would work. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But it's been a lot of fun. And I, I want our church to be, to be theologically informed in the best of ways. So we don't get caught up in everything that's flying around, that's always flown around for the last <clears throat> 1,500 years the last 200 years especially y'all remember that book some of y'all are old enough y'all remember that book 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988 y'all know that book that was a real book 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988 then 1989 happened and there was a revised edition that came out 1988 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988 so millions of copies I don't want to call nobody out, but how many books precisely did you buy on Y2K? How many blood moons are we up to now? All of this stuff that we imbue significance with that doesn't have significance at all. We've got to stop all that. We've got to stop all that because it's not helping the gospel. Amen? Well, now that I've made a bunch of enemies... And you can go home and pull your charts out And tell me how wrong I am And that is totally fine too We love you and we're glad you're here Let's go to Luke's Gospel Chapter number 5 Shall we? Luke's Gospel chapter number 5 And I'm going to start reading with verse number 27 After this he went out And saw a tax collector named Levi Sitting at the tax booth And he said to him Follow me And Levi got up Left everything And followed him. Now that is something else. Two words. And everything changed. Follow me. Levi got up. Left everything and followed him. Verse 29. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others. Sitting at the table with them. Different translations use the phrase tax collectors and others, or publicans and sinners. Calls them sinners very, very often. Verse 30. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now let me explain what a tax collector is before we get into this during the the time that Luke's writing this gospel, during the time this event happens, they're under the dominion of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is exacting taxes from people to such a high rate that it is bankrupting its citizens. They would recruit other citizens to be their tax collectors on their behalf. They were called publicans. They were the go-between between the citizen and the empire, the publican and the publican would often go and exact more taxes than were due so they could profit off of the taxation. That's how Zacchaeus got rich, by breaking the backs of people through exorbitant taxation. Jesus is sitting down with these wicked people, these wicked businessmen that are exploiting the marginalized. Jesus is sitting to dinner with him he's sitting at dinner with sinners other story other, other uh, iterations of this story in the gospels Jesus is sitting down with prostitutes he is sitting down with the most flagrantly wicked people this is how much they thought about tax collectors they always lumped them together with prostitutes he's eating with the tax collectors and the prostitutes because in their culture they were both as equally vile and despised. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those that are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Can I get an amen from somebody? That's good, Jensen. Thank you. I started preaching last week on God calling us, forming us, shaping us, not into... Not into a, a church, just a church. Oh, they, have, they go to church, they have a church. But God forming us into a community. Into a family. Right? When I say the word church, I mean that in two separate ways. I mean, number one, our Americanized version of church. Where we drive in, place our order, drive out. Right? Right? And the quicker I can get in and the quicker I can get out, the more happy I am. That's our Americanized version of church. No call for commitment or a laid down life. No depth. No moving of the spirit. No bite to it, if that makes sense. That's one definition of church. The other definition is what Jesus envisioned when he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If a church does not turn into a community, does not turn into a family, it's not a church. It's a social gathering, but it's not a church. It's not that family of God that pushes back against the gates of hell and they don't prevail against it. It might be, we might call it a church and we can call it that and that's fine. But if it doesn't turn into this deeply formed, tightly knit, united family that lives in community together, it is not a church. Are you with me? And the reason we, this is exactly what we see, this is exactly what I preached last week when the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, boom, 3,000 people get born again. 3,000 people get born again. And Peter and John didn't have master's degrees in organizational leadership. They didn't have their MBA, their master's in business administration. They didn't have any of that. All your Bible says is that they gave themselves to the word of God. They gave themselves to prayer and they gave themselves to community. They gave themselves to each other. That's what the church is meant to be. The family of God. Most of us have as much relationship with the people we go to church with as we do the people we go to the mall with. It is awfully quiet in this church this morning. But God is calling us to something deeper than that. Because when you got saved, this is where we mess all of this up. Our entire evangelism in the evangelical church is based around decisions instead of conversions. We push decisions. Make a decision to follow Jesus. Raise your hand and say a prayer and poof, you are on your way to heaven. Make a decision instead of becoming converted. Instead of becoming transformed. Transformed. There is nothing remote. Are y'all okay this morning? Can I, I'm just going to say this how I feel it. For a long time, I've been trying to temper it, and I, I'm just way too tired to do that. We push decisions. Everybody bow your hair, close your eyes, pray this. pray this five-second prayer, and in five seconds, you're going to go from death to life. You're going to put off the old man, put on the new man. I can't even get my car through a car wash in five seconds. And we're pushing people to decisions mainly because of what it means in the afterlife. Say this prayer so you don't go to hell. You don't have to buy into anything. You don't have to sell out to anything. You don't have to commit to anything. It doesn't have to change your life. Just whatever you do, say this prayer so next Sunday we can give some made up number about how many people got saved. If all of our statistics were true, we have won America over nine times. I have been, I have preached at churches that will stand up and that are 300 people strong and will stand up and say, last week we got 75 people saved and everybody shares and everybody celebrates and then go back the next week and guess how many people are in that church? 300 people steal. Why? Because we push decisions, not conversions. I know what you're thinking. What's the difference between the decisions? And a, conver- a conversion means that you have started a journey of continually giving your life over to God. Oh, hallelujah. You have started a journey of, con- of continual lifelong transformation where God starts shaping us and forming us into something special together. That's what it means. That's what it means. We've told an entire generation of people that if you respond to an altar call and say a prayer, you are set. You're set. And it changes nothing about their life. And we love, we love the, and I love, I love powerful moments at the altar. I love them. I believe in them. I preach them. We experience them. That's, the, that's what I was grown, that's what I grew up in with these powerful moments at the altar where we push everybody and push everybody to a decision and ultimately it changes nothing in them. Because you're not called to make a decision. You're called to be converted, to be transformed. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. And if churches do not become the kind of communities that foster conversion, they're not the church. They're social gatherings, which is good and fine in itself. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. They're hangouts. There's nothing wrong with that. I like to hang out. Invite me over. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. But let's not call let's not get it twisted and call it the church. We push people to these decisions. And this is really what we do when we push people to these decisions we're pushing them to say no to sin. This is what we mean. We want you to make a decision to serve Jesus, which means that you've been doing stuff we don't like. So you're going to come down this altar and you're going to get up. And you're gonna, that's your promise to me and to God, that you're never going to do that again. And lo and behold, they do it again. And then we say something like, they were never saved. You and I both are still being saved. Being, <laughs> I know some Christians, your heart may be saved, but your mouth is not. There's still way too much gossip coming off of that tongue for us to call it converted. It is so quiet in here this morning. I'm going to pretend you're amen and under the mask and I just can't hear it. If you need to, just give me one of these. Hey! You can cover it back up. The message of the God. God does not call us to sinlessness. Although you don't need to sin. That's not God's call to us. God's call to us is not a lifestyle of sinlessness. God's call to us is a lifestyle of holiness. There is a difference. When we preach sinlessness, it is everything you are supposed to say no to. And you and I grew up in that. We grew up with a thousand different things that we were to say no to. My grandmother grew up, you had to say no to the television, no to the football game, no to having fun, no to smiling, no to having any shred of joy in your life whatsoever. If you almost thought about enjoying yourself for any reason, no. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's that's our gospel. That's what we call the good news. No, 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 no. I get this all the time on social media. Is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is this wrong? Is that wrong? That's the wrong question to be asking. It is not about preaching all of our no's that we're supposed to be saying. The lifestyle of holiness is not about saying no to things. It's about saying yes to something. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Being holy does not mean saying no to sin. Being holy means saying yes to God and everything that that means when you say yes to God. What does that mean? That means I give myself to the word. That means I give myself to prayer. And that means I give myself to a community. You hearing what I'm saying? We have so many Christians that are not giving themselves to community. That's not discipleship. That's not the way this life was meant to be lived. It is not about, and then we pride ourselves. We pride ourselves. Well, I don't do that. I don't watch that. I don't say that. I don't think that. I mean, real holy, like real holy people. Real holy people. I had somebody tell me recently, if there is anything playing, any music playing in your house that is not praise and worship, it is displeasing to God. I thought, now hang on now. Because we do drop a little pit bull at my house every once in a while. Y'all don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. We will put on some flow rider and let the kids dance. <laughs> oh my God. I know. You're so holy. We pride ourselves on that. We pride. Our, it is the same story of when the prodigal son came home, and the younger brother returns, and the older brother still out in the field. The sin of the older brother was this: he didn't see the younger brother in himself. And we can get saved long enough that we forget where we came from. And start throwing rocks at people that were not half as bad off as we were. And if we would just extend some of the grace toward others that Jesus graciously extended toward us, it would transform the landscape of our relationships with other human beings. Right? You were the younger brother at one point. Can I get a witness from somebody? We're not called to sinlessness although we do know we need to refrain from sin. We're called to holiness. There were in the Old Testament tabernacle, there were these utensils that they would use in the sanctuary to accomplish the service of the sacrifices, and God called those utensils holy. They were not holy because they had not sinned. A utensil cannot sin. They were called holy because they were fully given over to something. Fully given over to him. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. That's what we see. That they had given themselves over to the word of God. They had given themselves over to prayer. And we love that part. And then it says they gave themselves over to fellowship and breaking of bread. All through the New Testament. All through the New Testament. You see Jesus... You see Jesus eating with people he's not supposed to be eating with all through the New Testament. Causing all sorts of problems for the sinless people. Sinless people are some of the meanest people in the world. They got set free from what? They got set free from secular music. But they're bound by a mean spirit. Right? They love God. And they hate human beings. I call it grumpy holiness. Jesus eating with... Now think about this. If you saw a preacher eating dinner with a prostitute, you'd have a problem too. It would be all over Facebook. You would get canceled in about 3.2 seconds. Jesus eating with publicans. Crooked businessmen that had sent widows and orphans into poverty. Prostitutes. The, fl- the flagrantly wicked. Now Watch. Watch this. This is the point I came to, this is what I came to say. We think in our world, in our, in our American church world, that transformation happens either A, at altars, or B, saying a prayer in your seat because it's way too inconvenient to walk 30 feet to an altar. Right? You with me? Especially Pentecostals. We believe that the only time you're transformed is to the altar. That's even what we say. Get them to the altar. I'm going to drag them in the house of God and get them to the altar. (laughs) Don't fool yourself. There was not so much that happened in you at the altar that you never needed anything else. Right. You needed discipled. You needed loved on. You needed cared for. You needed somebody to pick you up when you blew it after you got up from that altar and dust you off and say, you know what? You're going to be okay. You're going to make it. God still loves you and still has a purpose. I was reading this text and this this bum fuzzled me because I'm thinking the prostitute needs an altar call a crooked businessman needs an altar call but instead of calling them to an altar Jesus calls them to a table oh. he turned his table into an altar And it was at that table breaking bread with other people that were radically unlike him. It was in the breaking of that bread with those people that they were transformed. The table transformed them. Now, I still believe in the altar. Don't get me wrong, but we've completely forsaken the table. Because the table is inconveniencing to us. The table cost us something. The table means we have to cancel our Tuesday night plans and go be in community with one another. Can I get a witness from somebody? That's what the table means. They were transformed at the table. It was at the table that Jesus made this statement. They said, why? Why are you eating with the prostitutes, and the tax collectors. And then he makes this statement. Watch. I didn't, those that are healthy don't need a doctor. Those that are sick, now, He called eating and fellowship and communion with him divine surgery. Though oh, I need somebody to help me. Those that are healthy don't need a doctor. Just those that are sick. And I believe, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that does not mean that Jesus stood up at that table and pointed out their sin and called them to fall on their knees and say some prayer. Just communing together transformed them. In the communion was the repentance. What did the communion mean? It was a pronouncement to them that I have now accepted you fully and finally into my kingdom and that's what provoked the repentance we have this completely backwards because we believe that people have to repent and then they get to experience the love of God it is the love of God that brings you to repentance to begin with quit preaching repentance start preaching the love of God and then let love do what it's designed to do I had somebody tell me, the other, they said, now you got You can't preach on love too much because then people, all the dumb stuff that people say. You can't preach on love too much because then they'll give. If we don't preach on love, what else is there to transform them? The love of God is the most powerful force in the world. He didn't stand up and preach some sermon. He welcomed them to a table. And in that welcoming, they were broken and transformed. Oh, glory to God. It wasn't just the bread that was being broken at that table. It was the lust in the prostitute that was being broken at the table. It was the greed and the corruption in the publican that was being broken at the table. Let me tell you this. Let me say this real plain and clear. I've had my life transformed at altars, but I've had my life even greater transformed at tables. And this is what he's calling not a bunch of people that go to church together and would not dare speak to each other otherwise. If we do that, we're not a church. We're not a community. We're not a family. It was the communing together that changed them, and that's what terrifies us about community because we know there are things in us that need to change. There are things in us that need to be broken. That's why the scripture said, I've told you this. God sets the lonely. Not in churches. God does not send the lonely to churches. God sends the lonely to families. Our American version of the church is not the answer for really anything. Can I say that again? Make sure you got it. Our Americanized version of church is not the answer to any problem. But a church that has become a community, that has become a family, that's what the lonely are looking for. And that's where God will send them. We are transformed at the table. So much so, you know what your Bible says? Watch out in the book of Revelation. You know what your Bible says in the book of Revelation? That when Jesus returns and makes all wrongs right and transforms everything from top to bottom, do you know where we're called to during that time? The marriage supper. Called to the table of all tables, where everything is made right, and when we commune and join together at a table, now it is the inbreaking breaking of the ultimate table that's going to come. Oh God! Oh with me? Let me read this to you. Go, don't don't flip there. I'll just you can just look up on the screen. I'm gonna go to Acts again. <clears throat> Peter stands up, he preaches about four minutes. (laughs) Those were the good old days, right? He preaches this quick sermon. He ends it by making this statement. Let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God God has made him both Lord and King. This Jesus whom you've crucified. Now when they heard this They were cut to the heart And said to Peter And to the other apostles What are we going to do What do we do Remember that last week What does this mean And then what do we do About whatever this means Peter said to them Repent be baptized Every one of you In the name of Jesus So your sins may be forgiven You will receive the gift Of the Holy Spirit For the promises for you For your children For all who are far away Everyone whom the Lord our God Calls to him he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves <clears throat> from this corrupt generation. So those, who were welcome, so those who welcomed his message were baptized that day, <clears throat> added about 3,000 persons. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Everybody say devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Are you getting this? Is this not the most beautiful picture of a family you've ever seen? Praising God, having goodwill toward all the people. The Lord added to the church daily. Before Jesus left, he made this statement. He made this statement. Go make disciples of all nations. Go make disciples. But we divorce that from how Jesus made disciples. Go make disciples does not mean write your sermons and get a mic And go for it. This is how Jesus made disciples. Levi, follow me. And then very next scene, they're eating at a table together. Our call, our our purpose, our mission, our mandate, our assignment to make disciples. I want you to think about this. Look around your life right now. Who's at your table? If it's not those outside your immediate circle, then you're not involved in the mission. If the people around your table are only the people with your last name, it is awfully, awfully quiet in here. Everybody going to be inviting each other to lunch. You want to... You want to go to Buffalo Wild Wings? Because the pastor said we got to disciple each other. (laughs) Look behind you. Look around your table. And if there's nobody there, you're not a part of the mission yet. Our worship can be powerful, and I believe it is. Our preaching can be tolerable. And I believe that some days it is and some days it's not. But what people need to rub up against when they walk through the door is not the church. They need to rub up against the family. They need to rub up against the community. They need to rub up against a group of people that God is shaping and forming into something together. Hear what I'm saying? There, this stuff is really challenging because there's there's the, the way the way it's in me is, is not necessarily the way it comes out. I tell people all the time, you should really hear the preacher in my head because he's amazing. Right. Sometimes you can't you can't get it out, so I'm hoping, if nothing else, that we're catching the spirit. That says we are not a church. We're not trying to be a church. We're not trying to grow a church. We're not in that game. And it is a game. We want to form a community. Where the spirit moves powerfully. And we've given ourselves to the word where God can say to us whatever he wants to say to us. Where he shapes us and forms us in the best of ways. Where we are fully given over to him and fully given to each other. Can I get an amen from somebody? Stand up on your feet. And listen, this is, I'm just going to talk plain to our church. And I've heard, I've heard this a thousand times probably since our church is launched. Man, when we come to that church, the people there are so nice. They're so nice. They greet us. There's a short blonde-headed lady that hugged us nine times. <laughs> right. Which is awesome. That's awesome. I love that. We, yes, we have to do that. We're not taking away from that. What I'm talking about is something deeper than being nice. It's something deeper than being welcoming. Although I want us to be nice and welcoming. We are called we're going to launch small groups in a month and we're going to make it the best small group semester we possibly can in the middle of a global pandemic. (laughs) But what I'm talking about is even deeper than that. A small group is how you get, is how you get in. But what I'm talking about is deeper than that. It's life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this, life together. It is life together. And I know in a city the size of Knoxville with a million different things pulling at your attention, I know that's difficult and challenging and frustrating. And you, from, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, there's a million things pulling on you. I get that. I, I really, really do get that. But in the middle of all of that activity, remember what we're called to. We're not called to chase the American dream make as absolutely much money as we possibly can and I want you to do that but not at the cost of your mission it's one thing to have a job it's another thing to have an assignment you hear what I'm saying I don't know Maybe, I, maybe Tom you need to preach next week and talk about community I can't get it out the way I see it but I want you to to get it. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you. You're good, you're awesome, you're powerful, you're mighty. Make us. The only thing I know to pray, church, is this. Father, make us into the family you've called us to be. Make us into the family us to be form us and shape us into the community you've called us to be we give ourselves to prayer we give ourselves to your word we give ourselves to family send us the lonely Send us the tax collector and the sinner. Send us the publican and the prostitute. Our tables are open. Send us the homosexual and the transgender. Our tables are open. Send us the democrat and the republican. Our tables are open. And if there is something in you that chafes against that, you need to get your heart right send us the black and the white and the Hispanic and the Asian and the Native American send them to us our tables are open send us the young and the old the rich and the poor the educated and the illiterate may they find a table here Father turn our tables into altars. Oh, I felt that. Turn our tables into altars. Send us the single, the married, the divorced, the widowed, the separated, the hurting, the broken. Because our tables are open. Our tables are open. Make us that family. Make us that family that you want us to be. Make us that family that your church has always been designed and meant to be. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Give Jesus a shout. Hallelujah. And we've got got so much of our family watching online. We love you guys so very much you like crazy and our hearts are with you and our prayers are with you and if you're not comfortable coming together and you're gathering at home please know if you need us for anything as your church as your family you can reach out to us and we will respond the best way we know how we love you so much all right so be on the lookout social media this week for the date that we teach on the book of revelation and other than that we love you so much You believe God's speaking to us right now as a church? I believe God's speaking to us. I I, I feel it in my bones, and I can already tell I'm going to go home and I'm going to wrestle with this for four days, thinking I didn't get that out the way I needed to. But that's that's part of it. We love you so much. Don't forget to drop your offerings off on the way out. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday, 10 a.m. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.